This is your other brother's podcast. Friends to your other brother's podcast, Navigating Faith, Homosexuality, and Masculinity Together. From the Jewel of the Blue Ridge, that's Asheville, North Carolina, not Madison County, North Carolina. My name is Tom, and it's so good to have you here. Join me today. This is so exciting. I don't know if this has ever happened, honestly. I'm trying to think back if we've ever had not just one, but two brand new Yobcasters. They're not new to the Yob Podcast Network. You might remember them if you go back into the uh, the Yob Network archives. If you want to listen to their convo casts, there's some convo casts attached to their names. But they're making their Yobcast debut today. It is a pastoral double dose. So let's first go to the mighty mitten of Michigan. It is our other brother, Ben. What is up, Ben? Hey, Tom. How you doing? Good to be here. <laughs> so good. So good to have you from the Mighty Mitten. I was trying to think, what could I call Michigan? And Michigan is, for those that don't know, maybe for our international audience, it is indeed shaped like a mitten. And you guys, when you identify yourselves, you hold out your hand and you can point to where you live in Michigan. That is so cool. I've always thought that's so cool about Michigan. It's uh, literally the handprint of God. <laughs> I changed my description from the handprint of God. It is Pastor Ben. Ben, it's so good to have you here. I'm so excited that you're here. But that excitement is only matched by our other pastor from the frozen tundra of Alberta, Canada. It is our other brother, Will Cooper. What's up, Will? Hey, I'm excited for this. Very nice to have each of you. It's fun that that you guys are both here, because as I said at the top, if people want to get to know you guys on a one-on-one basis, you've done some um, some convo casts with me. We did poetry readings with Will um, and Ben. We had a great conversation as well recently. But um, but today it's fun to have both of you guys here because because you guys have been a part of Yob for a really long time, really great members of this community. And um, when I'm trying to figure out a schedule, trying to figure out topics for us to talk about, it was really cool that in talking with you guys, there's this kind of this a fun angle that we can take. Um, from a pastoral perspective, as we're talking about objections to a side B life, common objections that um, folks in our community either have heard or, spoiler alert, one day you will hear <laughs> these in some con- some context from somebody, either directly or indirectly. So um, we're going to try to hit as many of them as we can. We we put this out to our yobbers. We got a nice little uh, a nice little collection, a nice little basket of objections, and uh, yeah, I just want to like pitch them to each of you guys, just to give a little rundown. Like maybe maybe we'll talk about you shouldn't call yourself gay. Or maybe we'll talk about you should not ever have gay friends. Or maybe we'll talk about you should never watch Queer Eye. Maybe we'll talk about all of those and more. We'll see where the conversation takes us today. So so stay tuned. I know Will's got some thoughts on the Queer Eye points for sure. <laughs> 
I, I cannot wait to talk about Anthony for like 10 minutes straight. <laughs> Anthony being the human, not the bicycle, because astute listeners may realize that you have a bicycle. Although I can't remember, did you share that on the podcast or is that just a common common lore in Yab now that we just know that you have a bicycle named Anthony? I think it's common lore. Uh, I don't know if it was in the, the podcast or not. Um, where is Anthony right now? I normally have him right next to me. <laughs> well, we'll try to track down Anthony and try to reference Anthony as much as possible in this episode. Um, yeah, we have a lot to get to, so I don't want to waste too much more time, but I did want to put this out there. I wanted to ask you guys, because I think I might have talked to one of you. It might have been Ben's podcast. I forget. But I think I might have referenced with one of you guys the fact that you guys talk to each other Um and that maybe, or I think it was Ben, maybe it was you that you were talking about. You have like a group text with like a group of local pastors or pastors you went to seminary with or, or something. Um, and so my like big curious question as an outsider who gets to be on the inside today was, yeah, what do you guys talk about when you talk to other pastors? Like what's, what's, the, what's the scuttlebutt? Like what do you guys, there's got to be a level of bonding there that none, no one can understand other than you guys. Yeah, I think it's like if you're doing any job, people that are also doing it can understand it a little bit better. And depending on what your training and background is, uh, a lot of seminaries will tell you, yeah, you can have community within your church, but your main support structure needs to be outside of the local church. And so for us, it's uh, sharing what's going on in our marriages, what's going on in our congregations, um, ways we can be praying for one another. Uh, sometimes it's some of the pastoral problems we're facing. Um, phrase comes out, uh, don't sweat the petty things and don't pet the sweaty things. Uh, it's a safe space to be able to laugh about what's going on in ministry and just go, can you believe this? And mm. yeah, don't, don't pet the sweaty things. So, Will, are you petting the sweaty things or are you, is that good advice? I, I sh- <laughs> I sure hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fun. Well, it's fun to like hear. Yeah, because like you mentioned job people with the same jobs having a level of camaraderie. It's like it gets more and more niche. So it's like people who are also attracted to the same sex, but then you also have pastors who are attracted to the same sex. And then maybe even more niche, like pastors who are married, maybe in what they would call mixed orientation marriages attract. So it's like it can get more and more like you understand more and more where someone's coming from based the deeper you go down that down that rabbit hole. So it's cool that you guys have uh, yeah connected with one another and have developed developed friendships in this community and beyond, undoubtedly, um, with other pastors as well. We love our pastors in this community. We have a good number. We have a good number of people in organized ministry and um, and teachers and people serving people in all kinds of capacities. So um, I'm sure during a year of COVID, it's been quite the quite the ordeal how are things on the other side in the frozen tundra how are how are how are um yeah just like gatherings going church i mean church in particular but yeah just how is life to give that international perspective that that we have on this on this show yeah it's a in alberta here things are opening up today which is really good wow congrats uh locked down for a bit and we couldn't uh have a uh, church in person, and uh, today they are opening that up a little bit. So, like, we can have fifteen percent of our building capacity in on Sundays. So that's that's exciting. So things are heading in a positive direction. Of uh, people finally have started getting their vaccines. So that's that's exciting too. Yeah, 
Are you, do you get to pick the 15% that you want in the crowd? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we pick the ones that need it the most. Uh, we, <laughs> I was like, you pick the ones that need it the most or the ones that are just the, more, the most supportive, who give you like the best warm eye contact or whatever, whatever you require as a speaker. Yeah, yeah. I can't judge off of their uh, smiles when I speak now because they still have to wear that mask. But right. it's, uh, <laughs> they can smile with their eyes. That's true. That's true. Um, well, you guys, this is fun because because it's your first podcast, first Yobcast. I call this the big boys show for for lack of a better term. Welcome to the big boys show. Um, after after doing the test run of the combo cast, I figured why not just run you guys through the fire? Let's let's give you guys a voicemail to listen to and then get your feedback again because you are men of God. You are you are pastors. You have all of the wisdom in the world, um, all the empathy, everything that we desire. So so I figured this would be the perfect opportunity. I've been sitting on this voicemail for a couple months now, trying to figure out the right timing, the right placement of it. And the Lord spoke you guys in a clear, distinct way. This is the time. This is the episode. Um, and I'm really grateful because we have such a diverse listenership across the spectrum, across faith traditions, across different ideologies and and certainly geographical boundaries and all kinds of situations. So so I really appreciate this call from Joel. Joel from Idaho. I think this is our first Idaho appearance since a certain Dr. Preston Sprinkle appeared on our show. So Idaho suddenly very represented in the Yob world. So um, yeah, Joel left us this message a couple months ago, and here we go, finally getting to hear his story, um, or what he decided to share anyway on on the voicemail. So let's play the clip, and then we're going to go straight to Ben and Will and get their, their feedback. Hey guys, my name's Joel. I'm a cowboy from Idaho, and just calling in regards to your podcast on Side B, and uh, really, really touched me. I, I also identified side B. But here's my dilemma. I have a partner who is side A. And I think the more I've grown in my relationship with God, I've reframed our relationship. Um, but my dilemma is I identified side B, yet there's that time by my own actions, I would probably be considered side A because... Um, you know, there's still at times that that there's physical affection that happens between us, um, and not so far as full-on sex anymore. I, that's not something I'm comfortable with. But where do I fall in this? What am I? Is this? Am I just fooling myself? Um, just a question I had. So, thanks. So there you go, man, Joel. Thank you for calling. Thank you for sharing your heart. I mean, I love it when I love it when our listeners get vulnerable and they just share what's going on in their lives. Like I, that blesses me so much to know that anyone can call call the Yob line. I'll, I'll insert the phone number here, 706-389-8009. We've gotten so many vulnerable shares over the years. Um, and it's awesome that uh, that Joel felt that he could share all that. I got to say, that is a situation I am not familiar with. I mean, for all I know, I've gotten so many emails over the years. Maybe Maybe someone has been in a similar situation. Nothing is coming to mind um, as, far as, some, as far as someone who would identify on the side B side of things, being, being, with, a, being with someone um, who would be on a more affirming 
um, plane or trajectory and then what to do about that. So I don't know, Ben, we're not here to solve people's problems, but, but you guys are pastors. Like if someone came to you and shared that with you, what would maybe be some thoughts that you would bounce around? I got to go to one of the, uh, trainings for posture shift at one point, and then actually got to speak, uh, on one of the panel discussions. And one of the examples used was of a gay couple with children that ended up coming into a conservative church. And over time, they felt more and more comfortable there. Um, you ended up, whether you want to say committing or recommitting their, their lives to Christ. And there was a theological shift, a, you know, focus more towards a biblical sexual ethic. And at that point, what does this couple do? They already have a child together. Do they split up what has been for the longest time, this family unit? Or do they continue to walk together and make a shift in how they approach their sexuality? Now, you know, I'd want a few more pieces for, for this particular story, just like um, you know, how long have you been together? Is, you know, side B where you've been for a while? Is this, you know, a shift that you're making? But in terms of being able to, to stay in that relationship and, you know, ask the question, what does love look like now? Um, can your partner support the stance that you're taking? Can they see that your relationship is based on more than just sexual intimacy? And is there the possibility of walking towards Christ together? And if that person continues to remain side A, being able to, you know, on their end go, you know what? I don't hold this theological conviction, but I love and I affirm you, and I'm willing to walk with you in this way. I feel like there's some redemptive element in that and the ability then to be able to, yeah, mutually submit, if I can use that word. Uh, mm. Yeah. I know of like similar situations. Um, uh, one, well, the situation that I'm really thinking of, both are side B now, but it's an older lady um, who dated uh, this other lady for quite a while. And uh uh, then she went to seminary, switched to side B, and uh, her uh, girlfriend, like, they broke up, but they uh, uh, kind of got back together as a celibate partnership. And it's, uh, uh, so the question that people always have is like, oh, what about purity? Like, uh, are you are you guys uh, uh, breaking those rules? And I I think in many ways, we also have to trust what people say when it comes to their experiences and desires. Like if people say like, no, we're actually doing good. We're not breaking any rules or trying to remain biblical. We need to not assume and trust them uh, when they say that, um, because there is always that sort of suspicion of like, oh, there's no possible way that they're not having sex. Um, when, but if they say that they're not, and that this is a healthy situation, uh, we need to trust their own views on that. Yeah, no, that's all great. And I think I want to definitely reaffirm to him and to anyone else listening who are kind of in atypical <laughs> situations, um, not your run of the mill relationships by, by the world standards, certainly not by Christianity standards. Um, yeah, we want to try to, to be more inclusive and hear out where people are at in all these different situations. And I personally have had to walk away from friendships that were affirming because it just wasn't a healthy relationship dynamic for me. But then I also know plenty of others who who were able to have that relationship dynamic um, and are able to still point each other to Jesus, even though they have these significant differences. And so so this is a very unique situation because it is a, uh, a partnership situation. So so again, we're not here to say do this, don't do this. But um, 
but yeah, I just want to make sure that everyone everyone feels welcome here. Um, if that's if you're living out this traditional this traditional biblical conviction um, that you're welcome here with all the complications and all the messes and all the labels, like like what do I call myself or what what is this? Um, yeah, we we have quite the abundance of people who are who feel like they're the only ones. I know I've certainly felt that way over a, a slew of issues. So um, so I really appreciate Joel. Thank you for calling. Um, yeah, and just know that you're you're welcome here. I'm so glad you found Yab, however you did. Um, I've got an announcement, you guys. We have this this Heart of a Brother playlist, which I am so thrilled with because people have submitted so many, people from our community have submitted so many songs to be included. And um, it's a great batch of songs. We have over 100 songs. And up until this juncture, it's been only available on Spotify. Like I put all my, all my eggs into the Spotify basket. Um, and then a shout out to a very special listener. He took it upon himself. He did this all by himself of, of his own volition. He added all of those songs one by one to an Apple Music playlist because he was an Apple Music person. And I thought that was so cool because I, as a typical four, I'm just focused on what I do and what I listen to and what I need and what I'm all about. So I just listen to Spotify. So that's the only thing I was focused on. And let, you know, to my chagrin, like the whole, there's a whole world out there that listens to music on Apple Music. I don't know why they listen on Apple Music because Spotify is far superior, but but they listen on Apple Music anyway. So, so if you search Heart of a Brother, it wasn't my doing, but someone out there, someone in our community made a playlist. So you should be able to find it. I believe. I don't know how Apple Music works, but I'm pretty sure you can search Hard for a Brother and find that. Um, and then what I did do, however, because YouTube is also a great music listening platform, I took it upon myself as well to put all of those songs into a YouTube playlist. So if YouTube music is more your jam, um, go ahead. You can either go to our YouTube page, Your Other Brothers, or you can just search Heart of a Brother under playlists and it should pop up. So if you guys want to listen to the Heart of a Brother playlist, um, it's the only playlist out there that includes Stephen Curtis Chapman and his sons, along with Dolly Parton and her goddaughter, Miley Cyrus. So we really cover the gamut. <laughs> <laughs> Throw in some Dear Evan Hansen, some, some Greatest Showman. Yeah, we've got it all. We've referenced some other songs in the past few episodes. So um, it's a fantastic playlist. I hope you guys are blessed by it. Um, if you check our social media, we might be sprinkling in, Preston sprinkling in um, various postings. I kind of shout out some of the songs and some some really just awesome lyrics in a lot of these songs as well. So, um, so yeah, Heart of a Brother. It's a great mix. I hope you guys and gals are enjoying it. And you guys, because we're talking about objections today... Our sponsor of this episode, because we have pastors present, this is like, this sponsor has been waiting. They've been so ready to, to step into the limelight and be able to sponsor an episode. We're shouting out, thank you to this sponsor, Pulpits, for bringing, <laughs> bringing just like the absolute spotlight onto our deepest, darkest wounds. Um, maybe like with some amplification, like if you, if you have someone who pounds pounds the pulpit, um, like the more, the more robust, the better. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Pulpits. You know, I've been waiting for like weeks now to know what the sponsor was going to be. <laughs> and, I've, 
and uh, the the sponsor did not disappoint. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad. Yeah, the they were ready. They knew who was on the show. They knew what we were talking about, and they've been ready for this episode for quite some time now. So, though I don't use a pulpit when I preach, mm. so hopefully the sponsor is okay with that. I use a music stand. Oh, what do you use, Ben? You know, I have a really, really big, wide wooden pulpit that I can just hide behind if I need to. <laughs> Very nice. Hide behind slash shame some folks from a place of authority. There you go. It's big enough that I'm able to actually like hide stuff underneath and inside it and pull it out <laughs> for sermon illustrations. So, yeah, well. show and tell. Very nice. Well, I'm excited for this episode on objections. Even though it's like a heavy topic, I like, I feel like you guys have a jovial enough of a personality that I think this will be a very fun episode. Um, yeah, there's so many and we're going to try to hit as many of these objections as we can for any time that we have left over. Maybe, maybe some of these will spill over into the Yabba log. Um, or maybe if we don't get to enough, maybe we will do a follow-up episode someday. We'll see. But I think there's some big ones to hit for sure. And I think, I think kind of the biggest one and it's kind of, Part of me is like rolling my eyes or groaning at this because I feel like we've talked about this so much, but it, it goes back to the label discussion because the label discussion is one that will never die. It's like a weed, an eternal weed in the yard. Um, but it's the label discussion, like you should not call yourself gay. I feel like that is probably among the most common, if not the most common objection that people in our community might hear. Um, whether it's from a pastor, whether it's from an elder, whether it's from a youth group leader, whether it's from parents, um, I feel like I feel like it's a lot of maybe more so geared from the older generation, the boomers, the good old boomers in our midst, possibly, um, where maybe legitimately the word gay meant something different to them 40 years ago than it does today. So so maybe there's just some language barriers there, cultural, generational barriers there. Um, but I want to yeah get y'all's feedback first. because I figured that would be the best place to start was figuring out what to say, how to handle that objection. Um, for members in our community, if they're told not to identify as gay or substitute your other labels, queer, um, or a lot of guys in our community might, might identify as bi, um, what have you, whatever that whatever that label is on the LGBTQ um, plus spectrum. Um, yeah, how do you guys just respond to that pastorally, empathetically? So tied up in that, uh, you know, I've heard comments along the lines of people don't identify as liars. They don't identify as adulterers. Mm. Why are you identifying by your sin? And so I think underlying that, you know, statement if somebody says I'm a gay man or I'm a queer man, that there's automatically the assumption there that that sin is being committed. And you know, I think in addressing that, part of it's got to be to tell people, um, there's a difference between action and attraction, but also even in the action, you're defining being gay as just one small facet of being. There's a reason why there's a quote unquote gay culture. Um, there's a quote that I have here that I think is pretty relevant. It's from uh, Grant Hartley, and he's a pretty big name in this IB world at present. And he said, I am a gay man who agrees with historic church teaching regarding same-sex sex, but walking into a room full of queer folks across the spectrum of belief will always feel much safer to me than walking into a room full of non-queer people I know agree with my sexual ethics. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier, when people have a shared experience, you know, the idea of 
a group of pastors being able to get together and talk shop or, you know, a group of teachers being able to get together and swap stories and maybe share resources uh, for, for sexual minorities, people that would be across the LGBTQ spectrum to say I'm gay is more than, you know, who a person is attracted to, who they're sleeping with, whatever. It, it's an actual cultural identity label to say, yeah, we are in fact a distinct minority that feels separate and different from the general population. And so to say don't identify as this is something of identity erasure. And of course, on the tail end of that, people are going to say, well, why are you claiming your identity is something other than Christ? And I'm not going to throw any particular denomination under the bus, but usually at this point, I'll ask. <laughs> no, please, please do it. Well, I mean, throw that, throw that <laughs> denomination. Oh, dear. I mean, OK, most of the time. Hopefully it's not my denomination. <laughs> it's not. Not today anyway. Um, it's the question, you know, I'll ask is so. um you know, what are you? And they say, well, I'm a Christian. And most of the time I'll end up actually hearing I'm a Christian or I'm a Baptist. And they're very proud to be Baptists. And my question at that point is, why do you have to claim an identity label other than being in Christ as a Christian? You say that you're Baptist or you say that you're Reformed or you say that you're Lutheran as a shorthand to say there's a particular set of beliefs that I hold that put me as part of this particular group, and that group is part of a larger church, but we're distinct from these other groups based on these beliefs that we hold. So a person to say I'm gay or I'm queer, it's not necessarily saying, you know, I'm going out and uh, running people down the streets and, and jumping on them and having sex with every living thing. Um, you know, as some people would characterize us as, it's saying, you know, I'm, I'm identifying with a larger group of people that feels different and distinct from mainstream culture. Now, I take a, a bit of a different approach, though I do uh, um, agree with everything uh, Ben just said. I The approach that I take, I've shifted a lot in this over, over the years um, uh, because, like, I came out to my church a few years ago, so I had to, like, answer that sort of label question quite a bit uh, when I came out to my church. And at first I was strongly against using any sort of identity label. Um, and so when I came out to my church, I actually didn't even use gay anywhere in that coming out process, uh, except for the line, I don't want to be called gay. I did include that in there. Uh, but one of the things I've realized is for some people, it's actually not a choice uh, because uh, even though I specifically told my church not to call me gay, what was I known as? Uh, the gay pastor. Like I, I had no choice. And when people get really particular that like, oh, you can't use that label, but I'm like, but everybody has labeled me that way. So if people are against any sort of label and people have no choice about that label, they will automatically be rejected. Um, so I think, I think we need to recognize that for some people, it's the label isn't a choice. It's not a self-identity. It's an identity that others place upon them. It's a cultural um, identity in many ways. And so to have that nuance on it, um, I think will be helpful in, in church settings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there are definitely, I don't want to necessarily call out the boomers. I love our boomers. We have lots of boomers in our community and some in our community. Yeah. They're just not comfortable using 
the the label gay and that's that's totally fine if that's we're not saying you have to use it but we definitely want our tent to be big enough where if that's if that's kind of what you fit into whether you have uh, a negative connotation with with the ssa world with conversion therapy with former organizations past that that kind of preach change um like completely yeah we are we are a tent welcome for everybody but um but yeah that's 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 something that I, I struggle with, with like, cause I honestly, I don't even know how I identify. This is like so confusing to me. Like I'm good with pretty much everything. Like I'm good with, I'm, I, I don't have any negative connotations with SSA. So I'm fine using SSA with people. If that's comfortable, I try to meet people where they're at. I try to, I, honestly, what I try to do is I try to illuminate them about the other perspective. So if someone's more comfortable with SSA terminology, I'll say, yeah, like I'm fine using that, but I also am fine using the label gay because I'm not attracted to women. Um, so if we're just going strictly by attraction without going into the bedroom, without going into, um, my habits, my activities like that, that's a word that, um, that I am comfortable with. And, and I've gotten some good feedback over the years from people who don't even have like a faith, um, a faith to call their own, but they, they see my postings. Um, they've maybe read some of my blogs or books or listened to this podcast and, and they identify as gay and they appreciate just like me being real and putting myself out there and, and not like using all this jargon. Cause that's the other thing with SSA. It can be very clunky and it can be very wordy sometimes if you're trying to like say, I'm attracted to the same sex, but I have this traditional perspective. And, and I'm not saying you can't use words to explain yourself, but gay is kind of more of a shorthand way to just say um, what your attractions are, what your orientation is. And then from there, you can still explain yourself. But um, but yeah, when, when Ben, you were talking about like, like your ultimate, your only identity should be in Christ. It's like, man, where do you draw that line then? Cause like, do I identify myself as a man? Do I identify myself as single? Do I identify myself as, as an Ashevillian? Do I identify, like, where do I, what, what am I allowed to identify as? And what am I not allowed to identify as? If, if Christian, if Jesus follower is like the pinnacle is the ultimate, is the quote unquote only way that I should identify myself. Like, like inevitably, we're identifying ourselves all over, all the time, all across the board. Married people are identifying themselves as husbands. Fathers are identifying themselves as dads, um, or daddies, or whatever, whatever they go by. Like there's, there's a, there's an infinite number of things that we identify as. So I don't, yeah. For some reason, this is one that we pluck out, or it has been plucked out as one that's like not allowed in various cultures. And I don't know, it'll be interesting to see where this conversation goes maybe a decade from now, two decades from now to see, cause this word has changed so much. Queer would be another one, my goodness, like that word has changed so much um, in just five years, 10 years. So like, I'd be curious to see if we're still having this conversation. Yeah, 20, let's say 25 years from now. I'm curious of um, if people are still gonna be righted on about this as as kind of the generations change and the the word kind of becomes more rounded out. I think one of the other pieces there that one of the reasons why I, I use the, the term queers that Im, invites conversation um, is with the idea of what about those outside of the church or those who were once in the church, if they hear from the church, you cannot be gay and be Christian, you know, for those that especially that have gone through like conversion therapy or something like that to hear, well, I, I already tried to change that. So if, if I can't be gay and be Christian, then I guess I can never know God to say that just because a person comes to Christ doesn't mean that the attraction changes or that it goes away. Um, so to disallow, I think in some instances, use of certain terminology, it you know keeps certain people on the outside of redemption, at least in terms of practicality and evangelism and things like that. Mm-hmm. 
The one of the sad realities of the church life, though, is uh, the evangelism argument doesn't always work. Like, uh, like as a pastor, you want people to like uh, consider those outside the church uh, or those who struggle with uh, who've been hurt by the church and no longer go to church. Um, and so much in our conversations, we have to like encourage people to look outside the church because when we keep that that inward focus, that um, argument of using the language that the people outside the church would feel more comfortable you using, that doesn't work if they're not an outward uh, focused church. And so, and so many churches are so inward focused. It's hard to, it's hard to shift that. So that's part of what's going on here too, I think. I love I don't know if y'all church y'all's churches are like this, but I love churches who have signs out front that say everybody welcome or like come as you are or whatever. Some kind of like, oh, that sounds really good. And then in my head, I'm always wondering, because this actually happened. I was driving through the middle of nowhere several weeks ago here out, out here in the Blue Ridge, just going for a drive. So I was a little church that couldn't have probably have more than 50 people going to that church. And they had that sign out front. And I was wondering, like, hmm, I wonder how true that is. Like if if I just rolled in and looked as gay as humanly possible and just like announced it at the door, would I indeed, maybe I would be, I don't know, maybe I'm just judging that church and and maybe I would be welcomed in, but I just wonder, I wonder how how true that is, however people identify what they what they uh, carry into a, a church like that. Though for me, if you even take my, my sexuality out of it, um, I always stick out in churches just simply because my hair and beard, <laughs> I kind of have a lion. You look. have a look, uh, yeah. So- yeah. Yeah, I, I look like a homeless person once in a while. So that, that always throws a church community <laughs> off, uh, especially if I'm a guest pastor there and I go up to preach and like, oh, where did this person awesome <laughs> come from? So so it, it, it tests the welcoming boundaries of a church. <laughs> test those boundaries. You got to break them down, break down the boundaries. Um, yeah, and just to tie a bow on this before we move to our next objection, um, I think it was Ben, I think you were talking about how it's helpful to to have these labels and to 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 just like put it out there that yeah, as a as a gay person, as an SSA person, as a queer person, whatever you want to call me, it's helpful to name it because inherently my perspective is different from the 90% of married couples in my church or what or whatever, whatever their stories are. Um, there is a difference of of things happening there as, as a single person, as a, someone attracted to the same sex, as um, I mean, the, down the list as an introverted person, as a, you know, it's helpful to put names to these things um, because it's a beautiful thing. Ultimately, when you have a church of different people, different types of people um, who all have different gifts, different abilities, different proclivities, different ways to help, um, to help have an external perspective of bringing more and more people in. Like that's such a beautiful thing that should be, should be celebrated um, in my opinion. So um, so I don't know. It's it's tough because again, I think a lot of this this particular objection, I think a lot of it's just going to take time. It's going to take time for this word to fully evolve and achieve this new meaning, which which is the orientation, not so much the behavior um, from decades past. And so I don't know. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that especially as more side B communities um, are prevalent as as we get our stories out there, both with Yab World and all kinds of other organizations and ministries out there. Like I'm hopeful that. Um, that it won't be as much of an objection anymore. So we'll see. Um, kind of writing off of that objection, kind of another one that people hear about is you should not associate, you should not befriend, you should not get close to other gay people because you will be led astray. You will be tempted. You will either slip up with them sexually or you will maybe just change your belief structure altogether. So 
What do you, what do you, you guys have met with me here today digitally. So I'm assuming you do not hold to that objection as members of this community, but what would you say to that objection? Well, I, I would often say my gay pastor friend down the street in the affirming church has helped me with so many sermons. So I hope you've benefited. <laughs> wow. uh, um, <laughs> it, I just always shake my head at that objection for a couple of reasons. One, it assumes that if you interact with somebody who disagrees with you, that they are going to change your beliefs. But most of the time, your beliefs actually get stronger uh, because your convictions are being sharpened. And uh, so don't just assume that because you're hanging out with an affirming person that you will become affirming. That's, uh, uh, that's, bad logic. I, I think it's just, yeah. So I, I think that's one possible response to that. Plus uh, we can, we can be great friends and build deep friendships with people from totally different life experiences and views from us. So to, to make that assumption as well, that it's automatically an unhealthy friendship because it's another gay person. Mm -hmm. That's, that's ridiculous. Well, I've heard like I've heard people use the analogy. I think it might have been referenced in a blog or two here and there, um, or in some kind of discussion, Discord, Facebook group discussion in our community. But but it's like people have used the analogy like if you're an alcoholic, you shouldn't necessarily be friends with other alcoholics because then you guys are just going to get drunk together. But then how do you explain AA meetings like that? I don't. Understand I was that. just going to say that. Like I have many good friends who are alcoholics and they depend on those AA mm. meetings uh, just to even make it through. So even that analogy yeah. is not I gotta a say, good analogy. Yeah, I got to say, I used to work at a boarding school for teen boys in drug and alcohol recovery, and I would get to piggyback and go with them to some of their AA and some NA meetings as well. And I got to say, like some of the most just beautiful gatherings of people, of just like people just being so brazenly honest and, and real about it and and like me as a mentor like bringing in our teenage boys like you know five to ten boys um and you can just see like their faces lighting up that they're so glad that they're here that there's like another generation present that they can hopefully impart some wisdom and, and camaraderie in this in this journey so so i have nothing but respect yeah and love for for recovery communities um aana and otherwise so so that that argument's always fallen super flat for me for me, it's the idea of moving away from isolation. Sin is what we do when our hearts are dissatisfied with God. And the way it's supposed to work is with Christ and within the body of Christ, we're supposed to be able to have our needs met legitimately. There's supposed to be an outlet there for us to be able to connect with other people, to love and be loved, to, to be cared for and to be affirmed. And the idea there of connecting with other people who understand the, the temptations that we face or that understand life from the same viewpoint as us, there's something incredibly encouraging and affirming about that. You know, I, I think part of it is when we look at, I'll use the word, the proof, the proof in a person's life, where you take somebody who's had a life of solitude and loneliness and not had the ability to talk about these things and you put them in community where suddenly these conversations are able to happen. People are able to come alongside them and say, you know what? I've been right where you are. You know, <laughs> let me tell you what worked for me. Um, you start to see people grow in their walk with God, grow in their community. 
take some of this back into their churches even and talk about what God's doing in their lives. And then you see, you know, the, the non-SSA people, they're suddenly like, wow, gee, if I were actually vulnerable and talked to what was going on in my head and my heart, maybe my faith would look like theirs. So rather than it being something that's like yeah. a constant source of temptation, it ends up being a catapult to stronger and better faith. That's such a great point. Cause like, yeah, I've not to say that there haven't been vulnerable, vulnerable straight people that I've met along the way. Cause there certainly have been, but by and large, the communities, churches, ministries, camps that I've been a part of, like I've seen way more just vulnerability, open, open handedness, open heartedness amongst fellow gay and SSA folks than I have the greater church. And I think both what a shame and then also what a blessing that um, that hopefully we can impart some some level of authenticity, general general just vulnerability to the greater church. Like I think that's a beautiful a beautiful thing. I think one of the objections, I mean, again, going back to the idea of temptation and whether or not we're going to be tempted. And to be honest, the answer is yeah. There's going to be temptation in certain relationships. You know, there too, bringing back the idea of we're, we're not walking in isolation. We're supposed to be walking in community. And part of healthy community is accountability. Um, when I hang out with other SSA friends, knowing that I'm actually going to be giving an account to my accountability people, and some of those are straight people, some of those are pastors, knowing that, um, you know, my actions are going are gonna to need to be accounted for. So does that completely take away the possibility of temptation? No. If the idea, though, is that we're never going to come into a situation where we have the possibility of sin, then I'm pretty sure we wouldn't ever leave the house or do anything. We shouldn't make light of our sexuality, but we shouldn't also make it an ultimate thing and say that it's the defining factor whether or not we can or cannot have relationships. To go along with that, one of the things that people are often concerned about is perception. Like, so how is the church going to perceive this friendship or relationship? Um, Tom, I don't know if you remember back in the day when we did that epic road trip. Um, Which, and, uh, yes, don't, I mean, you have to share whatever you're going to share, but I definitely want to have a follow-up combo cast with you about that. But yes, share whatever okay. you want to share now. Go ahead. <laughs> but, but. At the end of that road trip, you stayed in my house uh, for probably what, like three or four days? I'm yeah. trying to trying to remember. Um, and that was not long after uh, after I came out. So, like, my biggest concern was like, well, I know nothing's going to happen. That's n like nowhere a concern on my mind. But what are other people in my church going to think about it if they know that I have like a friend visiting? who's also gay. Like, uh, so that was, uh, the perception there was something that I had to wrestle with for a little bit, or, uh, a few months after that, I had, uh, a roommate move in a straight guy and that I actually, that was, <laughs> that was an interesting time because uh, people did give some pushback on that one. I'm like, come on, I'm not even attracted to him. Uh, but, uh, uh, and plus he had a really cool dog. So to me, that was like the selling point. But anyway, we, that's one of the things that SSA, gay, side B Christians have to deal with all the time is constantly worried about the perceptions yeah. um, of what other straight Christians are thinking about them, even though what they're doing is totally not wrong at all. And, 
I, I hate the burden that that puts on people. Yeah. And I've had like following up on both of those shares. Um, I have heard from some people over the years, like it's, it's happened where people either joined Yob as a Yobber or, or they're just like commented or sent me emails or something. And, and I've had multiple people tell me over the years that they feel like they can't join the community because it opens up the door to too much temptation. And I want to be sensitive to that. I don't want to like say, oh, you're being silly, like grow up, come on, join the community. We're a great group of guys. But on the other hand, like I want to be sensitive. I do want to be sensitive to that too, that people are drawing their lines in different places. And I know for me, the benefits outweigh the the risk. Cause yes, I'm glad, I'm glad we've just been open up about that, that, that yes, personally, I've experienced temptation amongst, um, amongst fellow SSA gay guys in our community. Um, and I've just had to, I've had to, re- to realize though, that, um, the benefits of, of friendship, of, of healthy intimacy and of shared vulnerability have far outweighed whatever temptations have happened along the way. Cause like you said, Ben, um, like the alternative is an eternal COVID. Like let's just lock ourselves in the castle until the end of time, cut off all internet access. Like let's just truly like, you know, sackcloth. Let's just do the whole thing and be cut off from humanity because humans in general are just too tempting, whatever your situation is. So that's that's the alternative. And that's like, it's just not, it's not healthy. It's like, it's not healthy to be to be lonely, to be cut off, to be... Um, to be in a place where you can't have that support. So maybe for some people legitimately having that support among straight brothers and sisters, maybe that is a healthier alternative. But um, but I also encourage anyone listening to not totally discount having a good friendship, having a good sense of support amongst um, a person, multiple people, whether it's in our community or elsewhere, in your church, local church, in your city, um, because it can be a beautiful thing when you have that shared experience. Um, going back to the AA analogy, again, I've just seen that it's a beautiful gathering of people who who have a common struggle, a common perspective and how to, how to encourage one another through that. Like that's, it's a beautiful thing that I wish more people leaned into despite, despite whatever the increase maybe of temptation could be. I think the topic of temptation is a really important topic though, because, uh, um, straight people I've noticed often confuse, um, uh, lust and attraction, making it the same thing. So like, just by the fact that we are attracted to other guys, um, uh, they see that as a source of temptation, um, which causes confusion for straight people too, because I think sometimes they think that uh, um, uh, attraction or lust will diminish once they get married. And that's not, uh, that's definitely not going to happen. like it's important to realize that lust is a very selfish thing. So one of the best ways to combat lust is to deeply care for other people. So like for me, if I'm attracted to somebody, I've noticed that most of the time, if I become close friends with them, my attraction to them uh, really diminishes, or I should say my lust really diminishes because I no longer uh, have that self-centered uh, focus, but I'm focused on their needs, not my own needs. So by telling gay people like, oh, you need to be safe from temptation. Uh, so you can't be around other gay people or other people you're attracted to. I'm like, no, the best way to to fight possible lust is to become mm-hmm. close friends with them. Not all the time. There could be situations where it'll make it, uh, make it worse. But for many people, it's that deep relationship that will change that around 
I think one of the things as well that's kind of under this conversation is it's a verse that people love to quote, and they love to quote it from the King James Version because it's the only version that still says this. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And I shouldn't say it's the only version that still says it, but when you look at the other modern translations, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every kind of evil. It's not about what it looks like. It's about the substance of the thing. So, Ben, uh, for me, I think the King James Version is a little bit too progressive. I prefer the 1561 Geneva Bible. Uh, so it's uh, um, just, uh, just throwing that out there. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting flashbacks to my Christian school where we had KJV-only culture. It was uh, it took a while to escape that. But, um, yeah, so to close that objection, I would just say, um, yeah, I love that you're talking about attraction because I will just, I'm just going to say it, you guys, I'm attracted to so many people in our community. We have a very attractive community. I'm just going to say that, but coming to like, I'm not, I and mean, I'm not close friends with everybody in our community. It's impossible to be close friends with like 150 people, but, um, coming to zoom rooms, getting to hear people's hearts. Like I don't have to necessarily be close to them to suddenly feel like, like I can still be attracted to someone or feel like someone is attractive to me based on my taste or my um, preferences or whatever. Um, but learning their heart, learning their story, like it really does help as far as like balancing out, lowering the ratio of lust. Like, I think that's huge when you can, when you can see someone as a human, as a man, as a brother, um, as someone following Jesus with you, like that's, that's been a, such a huge help for me. Um, cause my, my main issues with porn or, or like web chatting that I've struggled with over the years is, is I just don't even know. I don't know who that person is. I don't know their story. I don't know their name sometimes. I don't know um, anything about them. It's like their humanity has been totally removed from the images on the screen. And and when you suddenly supplant that, when you when you have the story, when you have the background, I think that's been a huge help for me to to balance out attraction versus lust. So no, one one of the things I have to say about our community, I'm quite attracted to the the different types of hair. Like I'm impressed <laughs> by the hairstyles. Yeah. Talk like, about Ryan's hair, please. <laughs> Let's talk about every how episode. I love that his hair comes Ryan up. is, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Ryan from the city of Oaks. Um, well, you guys, let's let's squeeze in a few more objections. Oh wait, do you you have one last point, Ben? When we when we get to know people, when we actually have a relationship with them, you know, they're not just an image on a screen. They're a person that we're having interaction with. You know, that actually helps with the lust. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about in my church recently, we're going through the book of James and talking about taming the tongue. We say things in anger, we harm other people. And one of the things I've challenged our church members to do is if you're really and truly angry with somebody, start lifting them up in prayer before the Lord. Because if you're praying for them, it's a lot harder to stay angry at somebody when you're praying honestly God, do good in their life. Help them to be walking more closely with you. Um, you know, it takes them from an object of anger and wrath and makes them an object of love and grace. And I think the same is true, you know, in us walking with our own community, talking about temptation, talking about sexuality. When we view them as friends and brothers, it takes them off that idea of potential sex object and brings them in as my family in Christ. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful way to put it. Um, 
The last major one that I wanted to hit with you guys, and then we'll see if we have time for a lightning round at the end. But, um, but the other one is like, we believe in a God of miracles, right? We believe in a God who part the Red Sea. We believe in a God who raised humans and himself from the dead. We believe in this God who does incredible wonders. Um, so do we not believe a God can change our sexuality? Are we not praying, either praying at all or praying hard enough um, that God would make us attracted to women? Or if you're a woman, attracted to women, attracted to men. Like, what do you say to that objection? Because I also want to preface this or put an asterisk on this and say, everyone's story is their story. I'm not here to say it did or didn't happen. But there, are, I have met people who have said that they, they were previously attracted to men and no, they no longer are. Um, and it's a very small minority. It's not like that's not the prevalent story by any means. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Like this is, I don't want to, again, I don't want to offend people who maybe that is their story if that's, if they're listening. But, but again, by and large, that's not the experience I've heard. It's not the experience I've felt for myself. But how do you handle that objection that you should pray more or just pray period about God changing your sexuality? My snarky response is uh, that they should be praying more for God to change their sexuality so they have a little bit more self-control. Like, come on. Though mm. like, <laughs> no, I, I do I do admit a lot of this does come from like personal hurt and trauma that I've experienced through like conversion therapy. Um, and that so I have like I have very little patience when I when I hear those questions, but I I try to gather that patience though because I'm like most of the time people are coming from a good heart, um, and it, it does it does take a lot of work for me not to um, react in a harsh way uh, when people uh, bring that comment, uh, but I I usually try. Uh, if I'm in the right mood to gently bring up, like there are a lot of people who have not experienced that change and who prayed a lot. Um, and when you make statements like that, you could be putting somebody's faith into question if they're even Christian or not. And so we have to be very careful with that language. But I do agree with you, Tom, that like some people did experience, uh, have experienced that change, but it's a very, um, small minority compared, uh, comparatively. So that's normally my response. Right. I think on my end, you know, at present I'm at a place where I would say I, I praise God for my sexuality. Um, it's the single greatest factor in my life that's made me, you know, continually have to, to run towards him. It's brought me amazing friends, both, you know, straight and sexual minority, uh, being able to talk with other people about that has not just brought community and freedom in my life. It, it's been an asset in the communities that I'm in for other people to experience a deeper walk with God as they also find spaces of vulnerability and see Jesus step in and speak into their lives. So from that aspect, I don't pray that God would change my sexuality. I, I want to continue to to surrender it and have it be something that he uses for his glory. But on the more comical side of it, because I do get asked that question every once in a while, are you still praying that God would change you? And my response to people when they ask that is, are you asking me whether or not I'm praying to God and asking him to take away my attraction to men and instead make me attracted to women other than my wife. 
Why would you do that? <laughs> it's strange when you lay it out that way because it's like, yeah, I could be attracted to these 20 million people or I could be attracted to these 20 million people. It's like, which, which, which one do you pick? Like, I don't know. Like, as it's, it's for you as a married guy, like that's an interesting perspective too to have a little contrast between our two pastors on the show today. Um, the fact that you have a wife and are like, when you, when you deal with lust, like in general, yeah, you gotta, you're devoted to her. And so whether you're attracted to other men or other women is kind of irrelevant, right? You still have to surrender <laughs> surrender lust beyond your wife. So um, I do have a partner in my life. It's it's my bike. Uh, right, so to bring I, Anthony back into it. You're not looking at other <laughs> bicycles in other ways, are you? <laughs> um, yeah, this is, a, this is one. Like, I've been blessed over the years. I've never had that kind of a heated exchange with somebody um, about that I need to pray harder or that I need to, yeah, I don't know. Um, cause I know there are plenty of guys in our community who do have that experience, whether they went through conversion therapy, um, or yeah, were involved in different organizations in the past where that was, that was a hope that was like a specific expectation that did not happen. And so that's produced then a lot of wounds, just as you'd imagine, like if you pray for something and don't get it, like how demoralizing, defeating that would be. So, so the fact that people can still follow Jesus can still follow God after, experience that heartbreak that wound of of praying for him to change them and then didn't happen like that's that's incredible that 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 they're still following him honestly with all the all the wounds that people have received from from the church from parents from whoever whoever told them to do that yeah and just like to tie a bow on that like there is beauty in our sexuality like the fact that i can be hopefully this is the hope that i can be a conduit for my local church or or anyone, anyone who reads my material, listens to my podcast, that hopefully I can be some sort of like stepping stone for other men, other straight men, um, that they can be vulnerable to and they can talk about their struggles, whether it's with pornography, whether it's with um, with lust in general, whether it's with social anxiety, all the things that I've written about, like, um, like my sexuality is all tied up in that. Like I can't separate... Um, all those different struggles, all those different proclivities that I have. And so I think I think it's a beautiful thing. Like if, if I could snap my fingers and have God change that sexuality, yeah, it would make my life a lot easier in some ways, but, but I also wouldn't want to sacrifice like this huge chunk of who I've become with like being able to be open about my story and share it with people and, um, and hopefully see God work in their lives too. Like it's been, it's, it gets more complicating the more, I, the more I share my story, it's like, like would I want God to change? Would I want would I want to not be tempted by certain things? Sure, but then I'm living in a naive paradise if I think I can live the rest of my days on planet Earth and just not be tempted by by anything, be it men, be it women, be it <laughs> be it whatever. Like there's there's we're living in a fallen world. We're gonna be tempted by something. So it's like chew pick your poison, right? Ryan's hair, bikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not humans. It's in parts of humans or inanimate objects. Yeah, you're going to be tempted by something. So God go with you in this temptation-filled world. <laughs> um, because we just don't talk about sexuality in this community, masculinity is kind of the other piece that we we love to discuss in our community. Um, and it's all wrapped up in sexuality because the another common objection that our yabbers gave us, and our yabbers gave us so many great suggestions, but uh, uh, another common one is that people have told them don't act gay. And that could be in the form of mannerisms, that could be in the form of speech, that could be in the form of dress, what they wear, um, could be in the form of hobbies and interests. Um, so yeah, to, to basically quote unquote, act more manly or be be a man or whatever that even means. Like, 
Um, how would you guys respond to that? Because that ties into, yeah, it goes into our masculinity conversation about um, what does that even mean to be a man or to be more manly? I think one of one of the problems is what actually qualifies as manly. Like that that's just, if you have like a certain image of masculinity in your head, like Ron Swanson, uh, very few people will actually live up to you do. that image. You live up to and, that. Which I, <laughs> you wrote a blog. We'll link it in the show. You are the gay Ron Swanson. People will have. I am the gay Swanson. Ron Swanson. So you live up to that ideal. But what about the rest of us? Yeah. What do we- <laughs> I, I do live up to that ideal. I, I love typing on my typewriters and drinking a 15 year single malt scotch in mm. the middle of the woods. But mm-hmm. it's most people do not live up to these masculine ideals, which means um, the ideals are wrong. Like, uh, unless like if being a man is completely unachievable, um, I tend to take the perspective that we're all as masculine as we possibly can be. Um, and I think it's a healthy thing for churches to take that approach as well, because I think if you look at Genesis where God created, uh, male and female, it's not like God created uh, humans eventually become male and female, like this sort of uh, idea that we have to grow into our masculinity, I think is uh, uh, completely harmful. So um, I think when churches say like, oh, you need to be more masculine, I'm like, no, you need to be more holy. Uh, you're like, you're as masculine or you're as feminine as you possibly can be, uh, but you can always grow in holiness. So that's normally my response to that. Yeah, in your blog, we need a new masculine narrative. We'll make sure that gets linked. It was such a great, such a great blog. Your your one or two blogs a year has turned into like three or four, which is I hope that I hope you have that stamina all year long, Will. I hope that continues. I I'm currently working on a blog. Oh so my gosh! Okay. Uh, so you're gonna get another one soon. <laughs> Very nice. The idea of masculinity as a social construct. I mean, when we look in the Old Testament, we see. King David assigning the musicians that are going to serve in the temple of the Lord. You've got people that are singing. You've got people that are doing music and performance art. And guess what? It's all a bunch of dudes. Mm. And he danced. He danced in his underwear, like when the Ark of the Covenant came back into town, or something. The, the linen ephod, basically. You're <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture that in my head, and I have to bring myself back to reality. Because I, I love King David. He's he's one of my favorites. But uh, well, hopefully you uh, don't lust when you try to picture that in your head. So. I yeah. Um, that's <laughs> I, I plead the fifth. I when I meet King David. Do you think about that? Like when I meet King David in heaven, what's that going to be like? I don't know. We'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But um, yeah, I would say yeah. It's people. We're all different. And again, I I love how different, how diverse the body is. And anytime anyone, someone brings a different look, a different manner of speech, a different hobby, interests. Like I I love if everyone. Like when you go to men's church, men's retreats, I don't know how y'all do men's retreats at your church or if you do them, but um, God bless these men's retreats because man, I've yet to go to one that's just like a dynamic experience. Like it just feels very vanilla and very like, this is so, why don't we just like stay home instead? It feels like that's what everyone would rather do rather than listen to each other snore in the middle of the woods. And like, we're not, not really doing anything all that, all that great, all that dynamic and exciting. Though the funny thing is, even though I'm the gay Ron Swanson, I can't 
stand men's retreats like because they're very like yeah they they have no variety it's like uh let's uh, shoot a gun or um eat some steak and i'm like where's the crafts table yeah <laughs> i know for me it's are we gonna play board games are we gonna sit around are yeah. we gonna play board games are we gonna you know play video games are we gonna watch movies um or go hiking i do enjoy the outdoors but mm. in a couple weekends i'm getting together with a group of uh four street guys one of their side b friend we're gonna go to a cabin in the woods we're gonna shoot some guns we're gonna go kayaking um mm -hmm. do i think that that makes me more manly no but i'm with people that i enjoy being with and we're enjoying life together it's awesome yeah like i'm not opposed to those things but it's nice to have diversity it's nice to have like okay now, now what other like how can we how can we like meet another man in his hobbies and his interests and his proclivities like um that's where I hope that what we've we've had a couple of yab retreats. It's my hope that I mean they haven't been perfect, but it's my hope that they would meet as many different types of men in our community because there are going to be some things people are more excited about and more into than others, and um, and hopefully we'll get to do another one here here soon as as COVID lightens up. Um, I would love a men's retreat where they had uh, played uh, musicals like this, ooh, like a talent show so, or something. Yeah, encourage that at your church's men's retreats. Like let, let's. <laughs> Let's have a musical. <laughs> yeah. Improvised musical. That would be a fun segment. <laughs> um, and then why don't we close with this one, you guys? I think we've done good today, but um, we have got, we have lots of guys in our community who are married or dating women. So that's we definitely want to see, see all of those. We even have one on the show today. So that's great. Um, people over the years have heard the objection that because they're attracted to men, why don't you just start dating women and see what happens? If you've never tried it, what's holding you back? Or maybe they have tried it and nothing's happened. And maybe the other objection, the subsequent objection might be, well, maybe you just haven't found the right one. You got to keep trying. You got to keep, there's lots of fish in the sea. You got to keep searching for the right, for the right female. Um, yeah. Cause we have a, yeah, a single pastor and a married pastor. So I would be curious to hear how you handle that objection as far as, because marriage is a beautiful thing. We have lots of amazing men in mixed orientation marriages, if that's the language they would use. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. But singleness, celibacy, that is also a beautiful thing that we want to make um, more known, I guess, in this community. So, so how do you handle that, the dating question, both for people who are single and people who are married? I almost feel like whenever I, I write you know, as a married guy that I almost have to give some sort of disclaimer there that this is descriptive, not, not prescriptive, um, to tell people don't go into this unless you're absolutely sure that this is what God wants you to have. Because I have a, a number of friends that their, their stories were mixed orientation marriages. And for whatever reason, those marriages fell apart and I think part of it for at least some of the people was that they were pushed into something. They were told, don't worry, God's going to, you know, fix this in the process. Things are going to work. They're going to flow smoothly. And it's resulted in, you know, a lot of headache and, and heartache that is still ongoing in their lives. So, you know, with the objection of, well, what if you just haven't found the right girl yet? Or why don't you just try dating women? I mean, if somebody wants to wants to try that out, that's fine. But there's also that idea in scripture of do not awaken love before it's time. So do you enter into relationship with somebody and allow their heart to get closer and closer to yours 
but there's this point where you don't grow beyond a certain level of connection that feels very friend oriented or, you know, brother sister relationship. And in the meantime, that other person has given you their heart and you reached a point where it's like, you know, this isn't working for me. Well, I mean, I guess I'm just going to go try this again with somebody else. I'm just going to go try this again with somebody else. And how much heartache has there been over guys trying to work out their sexuality by dating girl after girl after girl, hoping for the one that's going to suddenly change them. To make it, yeah, real personal before we go to Will. Like, um, I had someone message me once. It was, must have been in response to something I wrote, or it might have been a podcast. I don't know. But someone wrote me once and said something to the effect of like, you're never, cause to hark on, to harp on that point of like not awakening love before it's time. Um, basically calling me out and saying, well, I'm never going to find a girl if I don't seek one out. Cause I've, I've always had the, the mindset, like I'm open to it. There are people in our, in our community who aren't, and that's totally fine. I've always been open to marriage to a woman. Um, but I've never dated. I've never, it's never been something that feels so immediately like, on the horizon and I'm I'm just kind of trusting God like if he wants me to be single the rest of my life okay we'll roll with that but if if he wants me to get married I've met plenty of people in my life who are incredible husbands and fathers and and there's some of my heroes in life and so I also want to be open to that story if that's something God has for me but I've always made the conscious decision but I'm not going to like go on a dating app I'm not going to like seek out a woman if if I meet one organically at a church at an event at a ministry at a whatever on one of my random excursions trips that i take um and something happens out of that then i'm completely open to that but i've never wanted to put myself out there as far as like just to use a very specific example like a dating app um and so yeah i had someone write in and basically was like well you should like you're a man you should take initiative you should put yourself out there and then and then maybe god will reward that like that's that would be like a personal like uh asterisk or or like another deeper tunnel into this question um for you guys to <laughs> Feel free to address. Well, the one thought that comes to mind to me is you're the man. You should take the initiative just like Ruth did in the await. Because, you know, we have to follow this set standard (laughs) that has to be the man. That's true. Uh, Yeah. Some of the problems I have with that is one, sometimes depending on how the people say say it a downgrade singleness so much and i'm like singleness should never ever be downgraded like and so so that's one issue when people bring up like oh why don't you just date women but a a couple other things though is i it makes me feel uncomfortable to the point where it like how do i how do i describe it is this incredibly uncomfortable like like all you have to do is turn around to the person if it's a guy like okay why why don't you try start dating other guys and see what what happens like straight men often like like just the idea of dating other guys makes them super super uncomfortable and i'm like like so that's my situation like if i try dating it would it would not be a healthy experience um and i've I've gone on a couple of more accidental uh, dates uh, in my life. <laughs> I remember, remember one time I uh, was, I just moved to, to Alberta and I was talking with a friend from uh, school who also lived in Alberta. And I was like, just wanted to catch up with, with this friend and, and she thought it was a date. And I did not realize until 
um, halfway through the date that it was a date. Uh, so mm. that I, I do those sort of mess ups all the time. Um, so. That's such a, yeah, that's such an SSA problem. That is such a like, oops, it really I is. was on a date with a girl and I didn't even know it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. And I ended up coming out to her on that date because I'm like, oh no, mm. like this is not what I wanted. Uh, so. Love I bet she'll never forget that date. <laughs> Oh, nope, she hasn't. I still keep in touch with her. Oh, good. Oh, good. See, there's hope. There's hope for the brother-sister relationship to still continue beyond beyond dating. One of the other things to, to think about as well is it's not just an SSA topic to talk about celibacy. There's this line in the church that you're not fulfilled unless you're married. That it's almost like you're a second-class citizen just waiting for your life to begin when you tie the knot with somebody and then you've got people in the church that get into their 30s and then they get into their 40s and they get into their 50s and the realization at some point, oh gosh, I'm a lifelong bachelor. Does that mean that I've wasted my life? And you know, to be able to, to combat that and say, no, there, there's value in our single people in the church. Um, you know, I wish that we could emphasize more of what Paul writes on that topic, the ability to be able to go and so, you know, he talks about serving the Lord more, but just the idea of being able to serve brothers and sisters in Christ who, you know, I'll use the example. I, I can't remember if I've talked about this on the podcast previously or not, but um, for my wife and I, there was a point where we were doing foster care and we had a single side B person, Samuel, step into our hearts, step into our lives, into our mess in the middle of caring for these kids. And he was a godsend to us. We love him. We value him. We count him as part of our family. Thank God for single people who are willing to step in and serve in the middle of crazy married people's mm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always taken the approach. It goes back to the label conversation. Like I want to always illuminate the other side. If they're so insistent that that I have to use the gay label or I have to use the SSA label. Like I want to bring light to the other side of things. So when it comes to singleness versus marriage, like, yeah, I'm open to it. Um, people have told me that I shouldn't be, that I, that I would only be setting myself up to break some poor girl's heart if I ever took that road. And, and I want to fight back and say, no, but like, what if you don't know the story? You don't know the context. What if she's an amazing person? What if like, this is, this is clearly going to be, they're not like, there are some people in our community that they didn't tell their wives until years down the road, or there are even guys in our community who haven't told their wives yet about their sexuality. So like as Thomas Mark Zuniga, like my story is well out there. So whoever I date, if I ever date a girl, if I ever get married to one, my story will clearly be common knowledge from like day one. So, so then who are you to say that I'm going to be breaking her heart if God isn't doing something in this relationship? But, but then on the flip side of that, like, I also want to not give that too much like weight as well. Like what if God does want me to be single and what if um, he wants to bless that. And whether that's through Yab or through all these travels and trips that I get to take with a little more flexibility, a little more freedom than if I were married, like what if, um, yeah, what if, what other adventures and what other stories God has in store for me in, in that regard. So, so I just want to be open and I hope anyone listening, yeah, if you're single, if you're married, if you're dating, whatever your marital status or lack thereof is that, uh, God can use you, whatever, whatever he has in mind, that one isn't better than the other, like God can use single and married people. And if the church is going to put on people singleness, 
then it also needs to be willing, willing to step in and be the adopted family, the brothers and sisters in Christ, the, the adopted mothers and fathers, that if a person's far away from their own biological family, who's inviting them over you know, to, to do things with their family, Christmas, Easter, the times when everybody's with their families, do they have an adopted family within the church? Over the years, I've faced my share of objections kind of goes with the territory, I guess. Writing about such nitty-gritty things. Not quite a Christian or not quite a gay person. Some kind of hybrid human, hybrid believer. I don't feel like I fit neatly into either camp, as I'm sure many people in our community can relate with. Furthermore, as a writer, as a storyteller, someone who's put out books and blogs and podcasts. I hear from people who disagree with words I use. Going back to my first book where I use the F word to encapsulate the feelings that I was feeling at the time. I got some pushback on that as if I could go back in time and unfeel those effing feelings that I felt to tidy it up a bit for the present day as if this was something I used to struggle with, and now I don't, now I've overcome. And over the years, I've heard other objections as well to using the gay label, to using SSA language. To some extent, I, I suppose I don't care if my faith is grounded, if, if I feel God leading me to say something, I want to say it boldly, without any reservations. On the other hand, I'm also human. I don't want people objecting to what I say, to what I do. I want to be understood at all times. I want to be accepted at all times. And yet I don't think that will ever fully be the case. Not anytime soon, anyway. Among the most compelling reasons why I followed Jesus is because he suffered too, faced constant objections to so many things he said and did. And it's a comfort 2,000 years later to model my life after a man who could hardly get five words out before someone was objecting, someone who knew what it felt like to be misunderstood, to be maligned, and yet who stuck to the path, followed his calling, never gave up. Luke eleven fifty four describes a certain group of people that seemed to pop up every other chapter throughout the Gospels. It says that they were lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. In Matthew 12, Jesus and his disciples eat from some grain on the Sabbath. Verse 2 reads, But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Later in verse 10, a man comes to Jesus with a withered hand. The same group of Pharisees asked Jesus, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. Later in that same chapter, 
The people are amazed. They say among themselves, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, in verse 24, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Beyond their objections to the things he was doing, they went so far to invoke the name of Satan, of demons, with this man Jesus. They objected to the people that he surrounded himself with. In Luke 15, the text reads, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees objected to the labels that Jesus used. In John 5, 16-18, the text reads, And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus responds several chapters later in John 8. Things reach a fever pitch. The objections, one after another, lobbed at Jesus as he stands his ground, as he says who he is. Verses 48 through 59 read as follows. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And so, my brothers, in this often tireless war against our own brothers, our very sisters, our shared body of believers, may we take heart again and again, just as Jesus himself took heart repeatedly for all those among him, the Pharisees and his own people, who constantly objected to his mission, objected to the people with whom he surrounded himself and objected to his labels, his identity. Though many objected to his words, rejected him even to the ultimate objection, 
of crucify him, crucify him. Still he followed the Father's path laid before him. So may we be comforted as we too follow our own path set before us, regardless the resistance and especially in the resistance. May we be comforted that we follow a Savior who faced objection at every turn. God grant us recovery from the wounds suffered amongst our own body and not just recovery, but healing, deep healing. God grant us new outlooks and new motivations for people searching for him. God grant us new life as our path goes forward. I think we've covered every objection uh, that's uh, ever been made against SSA gay people. So it's, we did uh, it. We covered it all, you guys. Yeah. It only took two pastors and 90 minutes, but we did it. So thank you guys. <laughs> uh, I know I'm sure we say that facetiously. I'm sure there's plenty of objections we didn't get to. Maybe we'll cover more in a future episode. But for now, I'd love to hear what y'all have to say. Either these five or six, six objections that we covered today, or if there's others that we didn't get to. Um, feel free to comment on our website. You can go to the podcast episode page at yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast. Uh, just search for the episode 80 post on side B objections and leave us your objections or your elaborations on our objections. Um, would love to hear just, yeah, some of the experiences you guys have had, if you relate with stuff, stories that we shared, or if you had other experiences that run counter to what we shared, would love to hear what you guys have to say on our blog. And a big, again, big thanks to pulpits, big wooden intimidating ones, daunting ones even, um, for really bringing the shadow of guilt on to this episode. <laughs> we love you pulpits, thank you. You guys, this was fun. Will and Ben, I'm so glad we got to coordinate this. It, one of my favorite episodes, honestly, this has been so fun. Thanks for having us on. This, is, uh, this has been good, I've enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. Um, for now, you guys, this was really fun. Thanks for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. We'll be back soon with another ConvoCast or Yobcast. Stay tuned next week uh, as we keep this train going. And stay tuned also, I believe, if my spidey senses are correct, I'm pretty sure a new Yabalog is also coming for our our dear Yabbers who, who support what we're doing at Your Other Brothers. Um, stay tuned for a new Yabalog. A bunch of bonus content is coming from our latest string of episodes. So stay tuned for that. Um, but for now, for all your other brothers, my name is Tom. And I'm Ben Rutkowski. And I'm Will Cooper. Reminding you that you are not alone. Even the sparrow finds a home. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to Your Other Brothers podcast. Our show is edited and produced by Thomas Mark Zuniga. Theme music is Fear Is Not My Lover by Nathan Rousseau. We'd love to hear your story. Comment on this or any of our episodes at yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast or share a story to play back on our show by calling us at 706-389-8009. You can also email us at podcast at yourotherbrothers.com or write to us at Your Other Brothers, P.O. Box 843, Asheville, North Carolina, 28802. If you enjoy our show, consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Your Other Bros. Finally, if you'd like to further support our storytelling, community-building efforts, consider becoming a Yabber. Yabbers pledge monthly on Patreon and receive perks like bonus podcast content, 
access to a secret Facebook group, regular group calls with fellow patrons and authors, and more. Visit patreon.com slash your other bros for more information. Until we journey next time, we're glad you're with us.